If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the Gospel of John. We are in John 15 today. Uh, many of you know that uh, for 2023 uh, or 2022, uh, we have been going through the Gospel of John, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And I know many of you are also doing that in your daily uh, devotional time with your readings. Um, and then also, I know many of you are also uh, participating in a small group and uh, discussing this content as well. So um, it's just been a great journey. And we've come to this place in the Gospel of John. It's called the Upper Room Discourse, and it takes place over several chapters in the Gospel of John. And uh, it's that point in time in, in the last just hours of Jesus' life. It's, it's almost like John the writer kind of slows everything down. So for three years, we moved through John, uh, the Gospel of John, pretty quickly uh, in Jesus' life, these three years of ministry. And then the last week of Jesus' life, we just go really slowly, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so we're at a section in John 15. And if you've been here over the last few weeks, uh, you know that what John is really trying to record are the words of Jesus. And as Jesus is uh, helping us to navigate uh, relationships in our lives, that's what John 15 is all about. It's these, these relationships rooted and grounded in love. And the first relationship in John 15 is our relationship with God. And it's this idea I am the vine, you are the branches. And so the relationship uh, with our Heavenly Father, the word that comes to mind is we are in relationship with God intimately. And so Jesus kind of unpacks this idea in John 15 uh, for us. It's about abiding in him, remaining in him, connecting uh, with him uh, every, each and every day of our lives. And then if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Lori Boltemeyer uh, from the Babyfold uh, shared with us about the second relationship, uh, and that's our relationship with one another and how we are to uh, care for one another, how we are to love one another. In the words of Pastor Lori, whether we like them or not, you know, and I think that's the hard part, right? That's the challenging part. And so uh, the word that comes to my mind as I think about uh, Jesus as he's teaching in John 15 Love one another as I have loved you. And of course, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, including Judas, including Peter, including Thomas, all those folks that are going to abandon him, uh, deny him, and even betray him. And so the word I wrote down in my Bible in John 15 is sacrificially. So we love God intimately. We love one another sacrificially. And the third component of John 15, if you've been reading through your devotional this week, you know where this is going, right? This is our relationship with the world. Those who are outside of the church, those who are not walking with Jesus, those who don't have a relationship uh, with God. And the word I wrote down is faithfully. Because this is hard. This might be the hardest part of what it means to be a Jesus follower and navigate relationship with the world. I mean, we, we like to spend time loving God, right? And we like most days loving one another. But it's the world, people outside of the faith in Jesus Christ. That can be really, really tricky, that particular relationship uh, to navigate. So, um, if you are looking this morning for a warm, fuzzy, 
feel-good, you know, sermon, come back next week. Because today it's, it's a little bit edgy. Uh, Jesus does not mince words. Uh, it's, it's hard. Today's message is, is more like maybe saving Private Ryan or maybe like Black Hawk Down or maybe like some other war movie you've seen because it's a challenge to love people out in the world. And we should never be mistaken that life is a spiritual battle, that life is hard. And every one of you, if you are in Christ, you have got a target on you, a bullseye, and the world is coming after you, and the world comes after you. And you, you guys know this already. But these are the words that Jesus is going to share with his disciples, and we're going to kind of look at this morning as we receive these same words for our lives. All right. Did I give you enough time to get to John 15? Awesome. All right. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for an opportunity, Lord, to worship you this morning and to, Lord, proclaim uh, that you are indeed a mighty fortress and that your kingdom reigns forever. But God, in the midst of all that, uh, Lord, there is um, lots of disarray, lots of battles, lots of challenges uh, going on in our own lives as there are battles going on in the world. So Lord, as we reflect on your words this morning, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, World War II was perhaps the costliest war in human history as it relates to the loss of life. Some history books record that on the battlefield, about 15 million men and women died. Another 35 million were injured on the battlefield. And off the battlefield... About 25 to, to 40 million people were killed and injured. Very, very costly battle. So it's an interesting uh, war to examine with all the fighting, all the battles, all the war that's going on. It was six long years of fighting, destruction, and death that took place literally all over the world. So when VE Day arrived, finally, May 8th, 1945, it was just this great sigh of relief. Ah, it's over. The battle has been won. And everybody knew on VE Day that truly things were over. The battle had been won. But what, what happened, of course, is that the battles continued on. Because World War II did not actually end until uh, September 2nd, 1945. For four more months, the battles continued to rage around the world. Primarily in the Pacific Theater, right? We knew that the war was won. And yet the battles continued for four more months. Metaphorically, this is the season in human history in which you and I live. We know that the battle has been won. When Jesus walked out of the grave on that resurrection, that first Easter morning, everybody declared, all the Christians believe, the battle has been won. It is over. 
And yet, Satan, the enemy of God, and his minions continue to fight. And they've continued to fight and continued to fight and continued to fight. And their goal is to bring about as enough, as many casualties as they can to bring them down into death and destruction. And that's the battle, the world in which we live. We know it's been won. And yet we live in this time where the battles continue. Jesus understood that this was what it was going to be like for the disciples. And here we are 2,000 years later. We continue to live in this season, in this place in history where the battles continue to rage, where there are hostilities all around us. And so as he teaches this morning, we're going to look at this idea of what it means to live in a world that is hostile to us. John 15, well, I'm going to pick it up in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as your own, as, as its own. Does the world hate you? You ever felt hatred by the world? I know I have. It's not very fun to be hated by the world, is it? It hurts. It stings when people make hateful comments towards us. Or are you sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, I don't know, I get along pretty well in the world. These words that Jesus speaks this morning, he tells us that if we are in Christ, we're going to be hated. And so if you're sitting here this morning thinking, oh, I get along pretty well in the world, it may be a warning for you that you are in the world. And we like to think of it, well, you know, I'm Switzerland, right? I'm neutral. I get along in the, with people in the church, but I get along with people in the world. Jesus doesn't give us that option. He says, they hated me, and they're going to hate you too. So we have to ask ourselves, are we hated by the world? Because the world, the culture, the society in which we live is moving away from God. There's always a cultural drift away from God. Unless we were in, are intentionally walking with Jesus, walking with God in an intentional way, pushing countercultural, we are going to slowly drift away from God. Nobody just drifts through life walking with God. It just doesn't happen. If you're walking with Jesus, if you're walking with God, you're swimming upstream, you're fighting against the cultural current because the cultural current is always walking away from God. Have you ever taken your kids to the beach? You get to the beach and you look at your kids and you're like, okay, we're going to put all our stuff down here. Um, here's our blankets and our towels and, and all the water stuff. You guys go out there, but keep an eye on us. Can make sure you, you can always see us. So then they go racing out into the ocean and about 30 minutes later, they're way down there. They come back and they're like, why did you move the blankets? They didn't even notice they were drifting. 
They're just playing, do what kids do in the ocean. But this is what happens. There's this current, this drift in the ocean. It just just pushes you downstream. And if you're not paying attention, you're just going to keep going. This is the way it is in our lives. If we are not paying attention, we will go with the flow, with the current downstream. And the current downstream in our culture, in our society today, is always, always, always away from God. We're going to take a bloody nose every now and then as Jesus followers. And when I'm not saying this morning, I want to be really, really clear. We are not called to be jerks for Jesus, right? We're not meant to engage the culture and the society trying to pick fights. But if you get a bloody nose for Jesus every now and then, it ought to be a sign, a symbol for you that you are with him, that you are walking with him. Because Jesus makes it very clear. Our society, he calls it the world, our culture, is always drifting away from Jesus. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And then he continues, as it is, speaking to the disciples, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. And so what Jesus is talking about here is a a couple things. First of all, notice what he says. Uh, you, You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you. So if you're still wrestling with that whole idea of free will or predestination, Jesus tells us that he chose you. Just like God chose Abraham, God chose Isaac, God chose Jacob, God chose Joseph, God chose Moses, God chose David, God chose the prophets, God chose Mary and Joseph, God chose John the Baptist, God chose the Apostle Paul, God chose the disciples. I mean, we see this over and over throughout Scripture. And what Jesus is telling us is that God has chosen you. That's good news. Now, I don't know why God has chosen you and me. I don't know. It's definitely not because of any works or anything I've done. I'm just willing to receive it and say, thank you, God, for choosing me. Thank you, God, for choosing you as his followers, as his disciples. Jesus says, I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world has hate you. And so he's, he's making this distinction between your life as a follower of, of Jesus and the world's life as those who have abandoned or denied uh, who, who God is. He makes a clear distinction between believers and non-believers and how we see the world. See, as believers... RMO, we are called to love all people, like Pastor Laurie said last week. Whether we love them or not, whether we like them or not, whether we agree with them or not, that's who Jesus has called us to be. Love one another as I have loved you. But for the non believer, that is not their MO. Someone who doesn't believe in Jesus does not believe in God. And when they're godless, they're looking at the world through a completely different lens. See, if we are to believe society, the world today, you and I are semi-evolved in who we are. 
that we're just primates and we just, we just do whatever we want. This is what the world tells us, that we have evolved from little amoebas, little species, and therefore we can do whatever we want. There is no morality except for what I demand that you do for me. That's the world. And that's what, how the world sees, the, the, sees things. So there's a very clear distinction between our view of the world and how a non-believer sees the world. In 1875, uh, William Ernest Henley uh, wrote a poem, Invictus. And for several generations, I think we've kind of lived into this poem, this idea. I am the master of my own fate, the captain of my own soul. As Americans, that's kind of been our mantra, right? I'm going, to be, I'm going to be all about me. I'm going to put myself in the center of the universe. In 1969, Frank Sinatra picked up on this idea, and for that generation, it, it, I did it my way. I'm going to just do it my way, or we're just going to celebrate. It's all, life is all about me. Young people today, they might say, well, I'm, I'm the boss of me. I'm at the center of the universe. This is the world, this is the society in which we live, in which Jesus is talking about, where the human being is at the center of the universe. And Jesus says, that's not what I'm calling you to be about. I have a very different plan. You are to love one another as I have loved you. And the reason Jesus says this and teaches this is because God created all human beings in God's image. Every human being that walks and lives on this planet is an image bearer of God. And so when we see that person, we ought to see the image of God and we ought to treat them with love and respect. But in the midst of human society and culture, there's been a breakdown. Sin has separated humanity from God. So God sent his son, Jesus, to come into the world to repair that relationship. And as God has repaired that relationship through the person of Jesus, Jesus says, love one another, whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not. Do you hear the tension here? Very different outlook in terms of uh, how the world operates and how we as Jesus, Jesus followers operate. Are you hated by the world? Do you feel different from the world? Because if we just feel the same as the world, warning, you, there ought to be warning lights going on right now. That you might just be of the world. Verse 20. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey also, yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. And we've seen this theme over and over and over throughout the Gospel of John. 
That Jesus continues to make himself on par. He makes himself equal with God. He talks about my father. And he talks about how he and God have this special relationship that they are one. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, God and I are one. You cannot separate us. We are absolutely one. And again, how the world looks at God and meaning in the world is everybody just choose your own way to heaven. Pick your path. All paths lead to the same place, right? I mean, this is what we hear in the world. It doesn't matter. Just pick a path. You'll get there. And what Jesus is saying is there is no multiple, there are no multiple paths. There is only one path. I am the only way. And he he says it in these words, whoever hates me hates the Father as well. Do you hear how connected and close Jesus is speaking here? In fact, we could take out this word in verse 23, hate. Whoever, I'll just say, blanks me, blanks my Father as well. So we could say, whoever loves me, loves my father as well. Whoever serves me, serves my father as well. Whoever ignores me, ignores my father as well. See, this is what Jesus is doing. He's making it very, very clear that Jesus and his father, our heavenly father, are one and the same. He's refuting this idea of pick your own path. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works uh, no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Jesus says things are going to get really bad. People are going to hate you. People are going to persecute you because this is what they did to me. So get used to it, disciples. I'm leaving. Get ready for the persecution to start. And the disciples, I can imagine, are thinking, oh boy, now what do we do? How do we live? How do we survive? How do we navigate this world that persecutes Jesus? And Jesus is now telling us that we too are going to be persecuted as well. Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. Verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the very beginning. And so in my Bible, the NIV, uh, Jesus is talking about the advocate. Your translation might say the helper. It might say the counselor. Those are all good translations. This word is paraclete. And what paraclete means is that we need someone, an advocate, a counselor, someone to help us, a helper to lead us and guide us through life. Now, I know it's football season. I was at the gym yesterday, and every single TV screen had on college football. Who knew that there were that many college football games on TV yesterday? Oh, my goodness. Did anybody else watch football yesterday? Holy smokes, there was a lot of football yesterday. And 
The NFL gets going uh, next weekend, right? Who, who, who are the Bears playing next weekend? Okay. How, how about the Packers? Anybody know who the Packers are playing next weekend? Vikings. Okay. So, I mean, football's on your brain, right? Some of you anyways. Football is not on my brain, but football has been imposed on me by our culture and our media, which is fine. And as I think about football, and those of you who follow football know uh, that all the football players out on the field, uh, they wear these very specialized shoes. They're not shoes like you and I wear or probably wore this morning. They, of course, are called cleats, right? And so they're wearing these specialized shoes called cleats. Um, they wear a pair of cleats, right, as they are out playing football. And so as they're running around on the field, those, what those cleats do is it helps them to zig and zag and move so that they don't slip and fall down. Those pair of cleats help them run up and down the field uh, really fast and navigate all that's going on on the field. And this is what the paraclete does. The para, I just taught you all Greek. You're not going to forget this, right? So lunch today. Talk to your server. Hey, we just talked about the paraclete today. Can I tell you what the paraclete is all about? You're thinking about those shoes that dig into the ground to keep those players grounded and connected from slipping and sliding. This is what the paraclete, the advocate, to use Jesus' words here in the English language, what he's talking about. This is what it means to be a Jesus follower, to navigate the challenges, the attacks on our lives. We can't do it alone. Jesus tells the disciples, folks, you can't navigate life on your own. The attacks are going to be too much. You need someone, and I'm going to actually send someone to you. It's the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the counselor, the helper, and he is going to help you navigate through life. I'm not leaving you on your own. I'm giving you someone, the Holy Spirit, to help you and lead you and guide you. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower, is to walk with and to celebrate the presence and to look to God. God, just help me, help me go through life with the Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me. The paracletes, put paracletes on my feet, God. Help me out so I don't slip and fall. And I think for us as, as a church, as a congregation, this idea of God giving us the, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the advocate, the helper, I think that right here this morning, this gathering of Jesus' followers is a wonderful image of what it means to have the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the, the paraclete among us. Now, I've asked Jeff to bring the accordion this morning because I love the accordion. I do. And it's not, I, I don't just love the accordion um, because Jeff plays the accordion by ear. My grandfather played the accordion by ear. And so whenever I see Jeff playing the accordion, I think of my grandfather and how we'd gather together at my grandparents' farm and my grandfather would get out his accordion. So the accordion is a very special instrument to me. But the interesting thing is I think about the accordion or what's in, the, in between the keyboard and the, what are those other things called, Jeff? Buttons? Chords, okay. But, but, but it's the thing in the middle. And the thing in the middle, I think it's called a bellow, am I right? 
Probably. Okay. You just play it. Well, Google told me that that is actually called a bellow. And we all know how the accordion works, right? It's, it's, it's the, in the bellow. Jeff, you learned something new today about that instrument. That's where the air happens. That's where the air flows. That's, that's the lungs of this instrument. And without the bellows, without the air, the accordion is completely useless. Jeff, go ahead and just play something there without uh, moving any air. Without moving the air. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't rehearse this this morning. Sorry, I need to get all the air out of it. So okay. It well, it's pretty weak, right? And and if you, if the air is not moving, you can push the keys, you can you can push the buttons, yeah. the chords, and it really does nothing. And of course, in order to get music out of the accordion, you have to come together. And so, Jeff, go ahead and just just bring it together. Bring it all the way together. All the way in. And now it's all the way in. It's all the way, it's all the way in. And so as I think about this accordion, I think of how we have come together from all over the community. We have people who have come about 20 miles from the east this morning. We have people who have come together about 15 miles uh, from the west this morning. We have people in our congregation uh, that live about 12 miles south of this gathering. We have people that have come this morning about five, six miles to the north. So uh, you guys all have driven in. You've come in. Maybe you've even walked in. We've come into this place. And I think this is a wonderful, beautiful image of how the Holy Spirit works. It's this gathering together of God's people. But of course, the accordion is, Jeff, it's, it's, it's all together. That's us right there this morning. We're all together. But there's more to it. There's another way that the accordion makes sound, makes music. And it's this pulling out, this going out. And so in a little bit, as we finish our worship service, we're going to be invited to go out. And I love the accordion because for me, it's this image of how important it is for us to be gathering together and going out. The idea is called gathered to scatter. And if you just come to church on Sunday morning, if this is the extent of your walk with Jesus, just, just coming together, you're really limited in your walk with Jesus. You're really limited in your effectiveness for Jesus. You're really limited in your walk with Jesus. And this is important. But we need to go out into the world and share the love of Jesus with others. And I know other people that they, they just live their lives out there on the hinterlands, right? They're like, oh, I'm a Jesus follower. I just don't like to gather together. I just want to be out here. But if Jeff were to just leave his accordion out like that, we'd do no good. The instrument is greatly compromised. So it's so important for us to be gathering together and then going out and scattering into the world. This is, I think, what it means, for me anyways, this image of what it means to be a Jesus follower, is that we gather together. And I want to invite you to make Sunday morning a regular part of your life, 
a rhythm in your life, pun intended, coming together. I know there's, you got lots of things going on you could be doing on Sunday morning. But I think this is some of the most important stuff that we do as Jesus followers is that we gather together. But I also think it's as, as important for us to be going out into the world, scattering into the world, scattering into our communities, scattering into our neighborhoods, scattering into our jobs, scattering into our families, proclaiming Jesus' love out there. And so as we face the hostilities around us, I want to encourage us and invite us to be thinking about this rhythm of coming together and going out. And I thought I would close the message this morning uh, by us singing the doxology together as we listen to the accordion. So go ahead and stand up. You guys know the, the doxology, right? In case you don't know it, uh, it's not printed in your bulletin, so don't get out your bulletin. Um, but it's praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, you heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So let us sing this together, the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.